If you are hanging around with the people that tell you there is no resurrection, you will start to believe it. And it will affect your view of eternity and it will affect the way you live today. If you hang around with people that tell you that all kinds of things of the world is actually okay and acceptable, you will start thinking it's actually okay and acceptable and it will change the way you live. We should not be influenced by bad company. We should be influencing them for the kingdom of God. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called... Took a bit too long. Light in the darkness, yes. And it's been going on for quite a while because we're working through the book of Corinthians and it's quite long. My wife asked me the other day, so are you going to do two Corinthians as well? <laughs> this might be getting long. And I've been praying about that and asking God, did you mean one Corinthians or both? And then I read two Corinthians one and I was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> so probably, yes, we are going to do two Corinthians. And you can't really, you know, I actually want to skip right away to 2 Corinthians 10 because I just love that chapter. But I do think we will go um, into that. But we may see a, a name change in the series for the second letter to the Corinthians. I'm not sure. I'm just still waiting to hear from God on that. One thing I want you to know is that I may not know a lot of things, but I really only move when God speaks. And, and I, I hope that you can trust that um, by now. And if you have any questions or anything, please, you can always come and chat to me. All right. That's an invitation to people in my church. <laughs> so every now and again, I get some interesting social media questions. Uh, okay. So our, our series scriptures are Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3. It says, Arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Come on, how beautiful is that? For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. That's a promise. It's a prophetic word. And we see that in our world. But, always love those buts. The Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So we have a promise of darkness, but we also have a promise of light. Amen. Then Jesus confirms in Matthew 5 that we as his children are the light. He says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house, let your light shine so, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not you, your Father in heaven. Amen. Why do we do the things we do? Because I want to look great on social media. No. For the glory of our Father. Amen. All right. I'm going to do a quick recap. For those of you who haven't been to all the services and for those of you who are new, we've been doing a journey through Corinthians and um, some, sometimes we had chapters together for one theme and sometimes we just did chapter by chapter. Um, where in the beginning we spoke about influence and as we talk about being light in the darkness, we have to ask us questions, who is influencing whom? Are we influencing the world or is the world influencing us? And that's a very important question It actually comes up today again. Then we spoke about what it means uh, when the Bible speaks about judging, judging others outside of the church, judging those in the church. And Paul gives quite specific instructions that, yes, don't judge those outside of the church. But when someone inside the church is messing up, you have a responsibility to sort it out. Don't judge me. Are you a Christian? Yes. 
Yes. Are you sinning? Okay. I'm, I, sorry, I have to judge you. <laughs> but it has to happen in community, in love, and not from a place of, I've, you know, I've arrived and you don't. You're not there. It's a place of, dude, I really love you. I really care about you. And what, where you are heading is not healthy. Like, we need to talk about this. You guys get that? All right. <clears throat> then uh, we had a session on what it means to be sanctified. It was Corinthians 1 Corinthians 7 to 8. Then we spoke about the crown of life that we are here to pursue and that we are supposed to be so passionate about the gospel message for the sake of Christ that we will lay down what we think are our rights. We will lay down what we think is comfortable and we will rather uh, give up everything so that the gospel will be preached. Amen. And then we looked at um, chapter 11 that speaks about the order of God, that Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and what that looks like. And we, we saw that it's not about the unhealthy version where you know women are supposed to be submissive to men in an unhealthy way. It's more of how God's order works. If you're wondering what I mean by that, please go and listen to the message. I can't go into it in detail now. And then we got to chapter 12, where we had an exciting trip through all the gifts of the Spirit. It was an amazing time, and we all tested. Have you done your test of your spiritual gifts on giftstest.com? Okay. Have you started to exercise your gift? Anyone? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Have you exercised? Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophetic word, praying for someone for healing. Have you done that? It doesn't help if we read this and we don't do it. Do you want to be another religious church? No. We want to be the one that changes the world. Amen? Okay, so then we actually have to do what the Word says. Did you share your gift with your connect group? Everyone who's not in a connect group is like, "Uh." I, I will manipulate you until you get into a connect group. I will. I'm like, I'm making it, bringing it to the light. Um. And then I wanted to also, while we're on that note, those of you who are at School of Evangelism, those of you who have been inspired to make your Christianity more practical, has anyone stepped out and spoke to someone about Jesus in the last week? Shared your faith? Anyone invited anyone to church? Good. I want to see way more heads nod, guys. Come on. How are we going to change the Helderberg? One family at a time. But we have to actually step out in faith. I want to keep encouraging him. Can I keep you accountable? All right. Then we spoke about chapter 13 that many people know as the love chapter. But we saw that even though that is used a lot at weddings, it's not written for people who are getting married. Although the principles are really great for marriage, he's speaking to the whole church on how to love. And he's, he's showed us that the gifts are there for for people that are in the church and outside the church, but that whenever we operate in the gifts, it has to be from a place of love. Otherwise, we're just making a noise. So do we love God? Do we love people so much that we will share the truth with them? And last week, we um, spoke about 1 Corinthians 14, and we saw, well, God came and did something amazing. <laughs> out of our worship time, but I did share uh, my thoughts on 1 Corinthians 14 with you as well. And we saw that even though we are encouraged to pray in, an, in a tongue that we receive when we are converted and um, baptized with the Holy Spirit, Paul says very clearly, for the order of the church, it's not for inside the church, it's for you with God. If you have a word um, in a tongue, it should be for the for someone to interpret for the edification of the church. But what he encourages us to do is to pursue the gift of prophecy so that we will grow in that. Has anyone prayed for that? I want to grow in prophetic word. All right. Has anyone had a prophetic word for someone? Great. Hallelujah. Please keep pursuing that. That is a message for all of us to say, pursue that gift. And we saw how we should operate in terms of those gifts with unbelievers and believers. Amen. All right. So that brings us to chapter 15, and the, the name of our message today is Resurrect. This, I thought last week's chapter was tough <laughs> to, to get my head around and to really work through and to bring across in a, in a great way. But this one just goes up a level. And, but I have good news for you. It only has 56 verses. <laughs> I tried 
to go, okay, how, how do we bring it? It has one theme, so it's difficult to split it up over a few sermons, but you can preach on a few verses at a time, and this can be a series. It really can. So I want to actually encourage you, and I know when, when, when people say this from a stage, you go like, yeah, and you never do it. But I really want to encourage you to go and do a study of 1 Corinthians 15. Read up on it. Go read the commentaries. Read the different translations. Because there's a lot of stuff there that I can't get into in detail in the three hours that I have with you today. <laughs> Nervous laugh. All right. So I've, been, I've been studying this, reading up on it. And it's, it's one of those things similar to last week's chapter where different theologians and commentators have different viewpoints of many of these things. But the main things that is agreed on and that I think we can stand and agree on today is what Paul talks about in, at, the, at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. Because he starts off by re reminding the Corinthians of the gospel message and what it is all about. And it's always good for us to be reminded, what is the gospel message? And then he ends off by telling them, okay, now that I've reminded you and I've told you all these other things, now go and do this, live this way. So there's a great instruction at the end of the chapter. But between the beginning and the end, there's a whole long discussion about the resurrection and what it means and what it is. And we're going to dive into that today. But you need to put your focus helmet on and goggles and strap in uh, and go with me through this. All right? Are you ready? Yes. Cool. If you have your Bible, you want to, might want to make some notes. I do not have this on version today. I apologize. There's just so much to, to get into. But you can go on version and, and obviously read along and make notes there, if you will. I just feel like I need to pray again. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I, I stand humbly before you and, and I ask that, that you will lead us as we read this. Lord, break open, Holy Spirit, what you want us to hear today and what you want us to apply to our lives in our context where we are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So first, Paul gets into... so. Let me start off this way. The whole letter to the Corinthians is in response to things that have happened in the Corinthian church and questions that they have. From chapter 1 up until now, what have we seen? We have seen that Paul needed to remind them of what love means because they were operating in all the gifts that are available, which is like, well done but without love. We also see that they had many divisions among them. They were not united. And according to Psalm 133, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. So when there's not unity, a blessing can't flow. And he was addressing that. And one of the things that happened was they were listening to other people's teachings that sounded a bit more attractive to their ears. And one of the things that happened, now you have to understand that, as I said before, the Corinthians were, in the church were mostly pagans, Gentiles, who got saved. So they come from a pagan background and they are in a very pagan city. They are surrounded by idol worshiping and sexual immorality and all kinds of stuff that's happening in that city. But they're also surrounded by Greek philosophers. And they are also surrounded by... Um, people from the, the Jewish movement, and those are mainly the teachers of Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead on the day of the Lord's return. The Pharisees do believe in resurrection, and they also believe in the spiritual side of things. The Greeks believe that your body is really just for here and now while you are living, and once you die, your spirit is elevated and goes somewhere else. So they don't believe in a resurrected body. They believe 
that you transcend or something like that. So he is writing what he's writing in response to where the Corinthians are. And this whole week I've been going, okay, Lord, what do we take from this as we read this? And I think the things that you will find as we read this is for yourself to really ask the question, do I know what the gospel actually is? And one of the commentaries I read, the guy said, gospel literally just means good news. So it could be any good news. To someone who reads the, the word in Greek, it just means good news. We've taken it and we've applied it to the good news of Jesus Christ. But, you know, we should actually do what the band Mercy Me does and call it the best news ever. <laughs> because that's how great this news is. So we've, we've uh, put that meaning on that. But when you say gospel now, what do you mean by that? You know, um, and it's, it's almost like the word love. We must be careful what we mean when we say love. I love ice cream. No, you don't. You like ice cream. I mean, I've, I've said that to you guys. But also when I started um, singing Christian music, people said, oh, you're singing gospel now. You know, Afrikaans people put a copy on the O, like gospel. Like, I am singing music about the good news of Jesus Christ, yes. But I'm not singing gospel. <laughs> not the way you mean it. And then, you know, that is actually an official genre that is more the American choir type of music. That's gospel music if you talk about genres. So we have to take all those things, lay it down and say, okay, Lord, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? What is it? And I feel that the reason we need to study this is because maybe a lot of us here today sit with assumptions. I sit with the assumption that I know, I know what the good news is. I remember when I got out of idols and I started traveling, they gave me an agent to travel with me, didn't know this woman, older lady, and she traveled with me and helped me to do my bookings and all that stuff. And so I was in a plane. I was in vehicles. We talked a lot. And she was not a believer at all. And in a way, it was kind of weird for me. Because my whole life, I've been surrounded by people that are at least cultural Christians. So they would at least say, yes, I'm a Christian. This woman was like, no, I don't believe in that stuff. I'm, you know, I'm more spiritual. And, and what she meant by that is that she talks to dead people. So that was fun. <laughs> Sometimes we, were, we, were, we would be on a, on a bus at the airport, and I would see that she doesn't want to hold on to the pole. She's quite a short person. She didn't want to hold on to the pole. I'm like, and she, she's falling around as the bus. I was like, just hold on. She's like, no. I might feel someone who stood there before me. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so we had very interesting conversations. But what I, what I was confronted with as a young Christian who's now moving in this music industry with someone who doesn't believe what I believe, doesn't come from the same background that I come from, is that I had many, many assumptions in my head. And I, so I would sit and she would ask me, so, why do you believe? I mean, what, what do you mean? <laughs> why do you believe in this Jesus, in this God, why? And I was like, da, da, da. <laughs> and for the first time I realized, oh my word, I can't do what the Bible says. I can't explain the hope that I have in Jesus. Paul says, you must always be ready to explain the hope that you have in Jesus. And I was like, I can't. I can't explain it to someone who doesn't come from the same background as me. And I felt so convicted. And this lady had so many questions that I couldn't answer. So I had to quickly learn. And then one of the biggest tools I realized was share your testimony. No one can argue with your testimony. What did Jesus do in your life? And that was a great place to start. But now, now this is a side note. This is not about today. But in, what happened was that I would say I'm a Christian, but then she would see things in my life and go, aren't Christians not supposed to do that? <laughs> I'm like, hmm. <laughs> So a non-believer was calling me out on my nonsense. And that also did something in my heart. And I realized, 
But we have to know that that is the case. And that was a big learning curve for me. And I, and I realized I was not prepared for this. I was in church my whole life. Didn't mean much in the outside world. Hectic. Only once I started being discipled by someone who loved me enough to break open the word for me and keep me accountable and teach me basic apologetics was I able to have a conversation that could actually start turning things around. All right. So, with all of that in mind, let us be humble in coming before the Lord today and saying, okay, Lord, what is the gospel message? And I probably won't get through everything that I wanted to get through, but if we can nail that and have full understanding, and if we can grasp the the send out, the activation that Paul gives us in this chapter, I think we'll be in a good space, okay? 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, this is from the New King James. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which, so I preached you the gospel that you received. So they know the gospel, they've heard it, They've received it. They've made it their own. So they're in a good space. By which, so by this good news of Jesus Christ, you are saved. Now there's a little word here that some of you won't like. If. By which, which is the gospel, also are, say, are you saved. If you hold fast that which that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So that is a whole sermon. I believe a big part of the crisis of cultural Christianity is summed up in that statement. We have millions of people who say they are saved, but they aren't. They believed in vain. They heard the message. They responded even. But it didn't change anything. There's a statistic in America that says more people have gone forward to altar calls in the churches in America than there are people in America. So something about how we preach the gospel and invite people into the kingdom is not like a... And I believe a lot of, maybe some of that happened with the Corinthians as well. And Paul is speaking into that. And he's saying, I just want to make sure that you understand what the gospel is. And I want to make sure that all of you have not just received it, but that you believe it and you are walking in it. Can you see that? Paul is the same guy who in another place said, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is a serious matter. A very unpopular thing to say is that maybe we are not once saved, always saved. And that is very controversial. There's another verse in James 5 towards the end that says, Brothers, if a brother walks away in sin and one of you go and grab him out of that sin, know that you saved his soul. Why would James say that? Why would Paul say, if you hold fast? Now, one argument is that maybe that person was never really saved. They believed in vain. And now, after a while, their behavior modification and self-discipline just doesn't carry it. And, and it starts showing. But I know from my own life, that I really got saved, but then I really went off the tracks. And it was by God's grace through men of God that he brought in my life and I still had a choice. I could ignore them. But I thank God that he gave me multiple chances to come back and say, I messed up, I sinned, I'm sorry, I repent, help me. 
And it's by that choice that I stand before you today. Many of those choices. And that's why it's a process. He goes on to say, For I delivered you first all of that which I also received. So this is the message that I received. I gave it all to you. That Christ, listen up, died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. He died. He was buried. Why would they bury you if you are alive? What is, what is Paul trying to establish? He really died. He died so much that they buried him. He wants to make sure they understand this. And then he rose again. Not just that, he was seen by witnesses. A couple in the beginning and then 500 at one time. And then Paul goes on to say, I also, as if I was born at the wrong time, got to see him. Why is Paul saying this? He is making a case. Do we have any lawyers in the house? He's making a case. He's trying to, why would he tell the Corinthians this? He says himself, I've told you the gospel, you've received it. So now he's, he's trying to tell them, this is the good news, that he died. How many of you know that mostly when you hear someone died, it's not good news? But with Jesus it is. Because he didn't just die. He wasn't just buried. He rose again. And it was confirmed by witnesses. How many of you guys have read the book, A Case for Christ, or seen the movie, Case for Christ? Anyone? Oh, my word. We need to have a movie night. We're going to have a church movie night. Such a brilliant story of what happened to a guy. He, what's his name? I forget now. Lee Strobel. Strobel? No, that's another guy. Anyway, he, he was an investigative journalist. His wife, he's an atheist, and his wife was an atheist, and they got married as atheists. And he was an investigative journalist. One night in a restaurant, his daughter chokes on something. This was the 80s, and apparently no one knew the Heimlich maneuver, because everyone was like, ah! A nurse, a woman sits at a table next to them. She's a nurse. She comes, she helps to, to get the thing undislodged. The mom is like, thank you, you saved my kid's life. The nurse explains they were not supposed to be at that restaurant. They were heading to another place. But as they drove by, she felt a pull from the Lord that she needs to be in that restaurant. And the woman was like, what do you mean? The Lord. Long story short, the woman comes uh, becomes born again, gives her life to Christ, starts spending time with this lady. The husband flips. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. I married an atheist. <laughs> and now she's changing. And nah, nah, nah. All the changes are good and positive. But he's just like, Meh. so he speaks to a guy at work who, um, who's a Christian. And he says, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. And the guy's very confident. He says, well, you know, if you want to prove Christianity wrong, you need to go for the jugular. Go for the resurrection. If you can prove that Jesus wasn't resurrected, then the whole religion, the whole faith is done. And the guy kind of says it in a cocky way. You can see him going like, why are you so happy to share this with me? <laughs> He's just like, because you won't be able to prove it. And he's like, I will. I will prove it. <laughs> and he goes on this in-depth, super, like, next-level investigation. He uses all his investigative journalist skills. And he goes and studies. And he goes, he travels the world. He does interviews with medical professionals. 
about could he survive this and this. But can you even prove that that happened? Yes, historical documents prove this. Historical documents prove that. There is more proof of the Bible than there is of the writings of Pythagoras, of the writings of um, these Greek philosophers. There's very few of their things, and they, they are convinced these things are written by them. There are like 100,000 more samples, copies of the things written about Jesus and the faith of God than those things, but then people doubt. And, and he, anyway, long story short, comes to the end, and there's this beautiful shot in the movie where he looks at this room where he's got all these boards up, and he looks at all the evidence, all the evidence, all the evidence. He was out to prove him wrong. And he looks at this and he goes, okay, you win. <laughs> he couldn't disprove the resurrection. And now he travels the world and tells people what he learned. Did you know that's the same way that C.S. Lewis got saved? He was an atheist and wanted to prove Christianity wrong. Got saved in the process. Changed the world. Amen? Powerful. Then he gets into the discussion of the, the whole resurrection. So he's setting it up because he wants to talk about the resurrection. All right? So 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of, some of you, among, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Hello. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of all men the most pitiable. What is he saying? He's saying, I can see that you receive the, the, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. I can see that you believe that he was resurrected. But I hear that you don't believe in the resurrection that will come at the, at the return of Jesus. You don't re believe that resurrection is possible. This is a problem. Because if you don't believe that resurrection is possible, then you don't believe that Jesus was really raised from the dead. So he has to talk about this. And then he says what I just told you. If you can disprove the resurrection, if that never happened, then Christianity is useless and futile and means nothing. And then your faith means nothing. And you're still in your sin and you're going nowhere when you die. Reality check. Okay. Recalculating, recalculating. Okay. In the next part, I want to shift to the New Living Translation because it, it just puts it a little bit more easier to, to understand. From verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Can I get an amen? amen? He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. The other, other translations say he's the first fruit of, of a great harvest. The, um, so, sorry, the other translation says, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So it talks about the Christians who have given their lives to Christ, but they have died, fallen asleep. They refer to it as fallen asleep because they will rise again. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this. There's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first fruits, the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. How many of you know Christ is coming back? How many of you know he will return for his children who believe in him now? He will return to 
catch us up into the sky. Now, I know that sounds woohoo, but that's what the Bible says, that Jesus will come for his children. He will take us up. Then he's coming to reign for a thousand years. That is his second coming. But his first coming for us, then there's seven years that go past, then we come back with him. Now, he is trying to teach them that when he returns and he takes those who believe, that when he gets, when he takes us, we will be in our resurrected bodies. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of scripture now just to get this point across. So they are struggling with this concept of being resurrected. All right. Now, important to note, Jesus, the, the scripture that I read to you with praise and worship was Jesus talking about he is the resurrection. And right after that, he raised Lazarus from the dead. All right. Important distinction. Lazarus did not get a new body. Other people that Jesus raised from the dead did not get new bodies in that moment. They were dead. They were resuscitated with the bodies they had. So that was not a resurrection. Do you get it? That was a raise from the dead. Remember, Jesus actually called his disciples to go, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. He didn't say resurrect the dead. He said raise the dead. So if people are dead, we can pray and they can come back to life. And I've heard many testimonies of that. I'm still waiting for the first one I can do. Because it's possible. It should be normal for us. So now... If we understand that, then what we need to understand now is that Jesus, when he died, he was buried. When he rose and came out of the grave, that was a resurrected body, a new body. They could recognize him. They could see the scars. It was a physical body. He could eat in front of them, but he could also walk through walls. And then he was taken up into heaven. He was the first fruit of the resurrection. So even in that, he is our example. He leads the way. Amen. All right. Can you see why this is quite hectic? Okay. So I'm going to come back to that point. I just want to track with Paul. From verse 30, he says, uh, he, he, he comes back to this thing of like, if you really believe that there is no resurrection, why do we go through all these things? He talks about him, that his life is in danger every day because he is preaching the gospel. Why would he risk his life? He talks about how he struggled with the beasts in Ephesus. It actually sounds like he talks about the people that he encountered there, that they were so off the path that they were beasts and he had to tame them. It sounds like he's talking about the people that eventually became the church of Ephesus. And then he says, there are people around you that says, well, there's no resurrection, so let's eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And then he says, don't hang out with people like that. Because bad company corrupts good habits. He is actually quoting a, a poet of that day when he says that. That's not scripture. He's not quoting scripture. Bad company corrupts good habits. He's taking something from a worldly poet that they know. They would know what he's talking about. But he's applying it to a spiritual principle, saying bad company corrupts good habits. If you are hanging around with the people that tell you there is no resurrection, you will start to believe it. And it will affect your view of eternity and it will affect the way you live today. If you hang around with people that tell you that all kinds of things of the world is actually okay and acceptable, you will start thinking it's actually okay and acceptable and it will change the way you live. We should not be influenced by bad company. We should be influencing them for the kingdom of God. Amen? Then there's a part where he says, some of you may ask, so what does a resurrected body look like? You know, how does this thing work? When do they rise? How do they look? What is it? And then he says, you fools. Don't you know 
that when something dies, something else has to come up. And he compares it to a seed. That's also why I had that picture up for the name of the sermon today. A seed has to die. It has to break to bring new life and to create more. So he says in the same way, then he goes on for a long time saying that every, um, every kind of thing we see in this world has a type of glory. The animals have a type of glory. The moon, the stars, the sky, everything has a type of glory. And then he talks about how when we, are, when we die in, in, these, in these bodies, then another body has to come up, a glorified body. Okay. Now I'm going to break your brain because this broke my brain a little bit. Now, I shouldn't speak that over myself. My brain is fine. But it's like a woo, okay. So in John 5, I just want to see if I put it here. In John 5, Jesus tells them what will happen at the end. And he says that those who did my will will receive their immortal bodies. And those who did not do my will will also receive immortal bodies. But then he says, the, one, the ones who did good and followed me, they will go to heaven. And the ones who did not do my will, they will go to hell. So whether you are with God or against God, you will have a transformation of your body. The destination of that glorified body is up to you. Whether that glorified body will be with God one day forever or whether it will be without God forever. Because that's what Paul goes on to explain. He goes on to explain that what you choose now will affect whether you are a glorified, resurrected body that goes with Jesus into heaven or not. And we need to understand this. Now, we can get into a whole thing of like, well, what's the timing of this whole thing? Because the one thing that I was wrestling with here is, like, okay, so when I give my life to Jesus, I am a new creation. My old is gone, the new is come. So isn't that a resurrection? And I was thinking about that, toying with that, like, what is that? And what I felt... What I felt God showed us from this is that we must know that He is outside of time. He created time. And He knows the end from the beginning. So what we experience in this life when we get born again is a spiritual rebirth. And yes, you become a new creation in spirit. But how many of you know after getting, giving your life to Christ, you are still in the body that you were born with? So you have not been resurrected. And this is where our modern day thinking is so in line with Greek thinking that we need to maybe rethink how we see things. Because the Greeks don't believe in the importance of the body. So that permeates into our Western culture and way of thinking. But the Bible is very clear that we will have a new body, which will be based on the body we had, but it will be a glorified version of that body. And some of you go, oh, man. <laughs> I was hoping for a whole new model. But that's what the Bible teaches us. If Jesus' resurrected body was still recognizable, but glorified anew, then we probably should expect something similar. But how many of you know that we can debate, think, read up, try to figure these things out, the point of the matter remains, have I given my life to Christ? Am I a new creation in my spirit right now so that when the time comes, whether I die now before Jesus returns and I am then when he does return, glorified, come with a glorified body? Because Paul goes on to explain. So he says, so some of you have fallen asleep already. What happens to them? He says, well, when Jesus comes back, they will come forth with their glorified bodies. He says, and, and we who are still alive when he comes, what about us? He says, well, you will have a transformation in the blink of an eye. So when, let's say Jesus returns right now on the clouds, as the Bible says he will. 
those of us who have chosen to follow him, we will be changed in instant into glorified bodies and we will be taken up with him. That will be the time when people go, whoa, where did he go? And you realize, ooh, I'm still here. <laughs> I always think of the guys who are pilots. How will God time that? And that's, that's apparently why they put two pilots in every plane. There's an airline that makes sure that on each flight, at least one of the pilots is not a Christian. Just in case. Just in case the stuff is right, real. We need someone that can land the plane. For real. Like they, they plan for that. Imagine that, guys. <laughs> but this is what Paul is talking about. There's still so much I want to share on, on these chapters, but I want to, because we're out of time in a way, I want to come to the end there, and I want to bring this home. So Paul explains all of this stuff. Um, just see if you can find that last few verses. So let's pick it up on when it says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed. He says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Yes. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So, and this is His final instruction on this topic. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So he describes this whole spiritual, cosmic, end of the world thing, and he comes back to live for Jesus. Every day, it's about him. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? Can you? Thanks, babe. When, let me ask you, let me ask you this way. When you wake up, what is the first thought in your head? Besides, I wish I could sleep longer. <laughs> Coffee, please. But what if we wake up every day and we think, how can I change the world for Jesus today? With what he's given me, with this new being that I am in him, while I'm waiting for my glorified body, how can I represent heaven today? How can I represent heaven and how I speak to my spouse, how I handle my children, how I do my job? Am I really doing everything I do as if unto the Lord, like the Bible says? Or am I doing the absolute minimum while my boss isn't looking? Am I getting up to please people? Or am I getting up to please God? It really comes down to who am I? And do I know whose I am and what I'm living for? Do I really know that? About five or six years ago, I was at a, at a Every Nation World Conference. First speaker, first night, opening sermon. He starts with this question. Is what you are living for worth Christ's dying for? Is what you are living for worth what Christ died for? Because He died for you. He loves you so much. 
that he said, no, I will be the ransom. I know, I know that he has to pay a penalty, but I will pay the penalty for him, for her. As long as they accept me and who I am, then they can live free. This chapter also helps me to understand that even though I am born again, walking with Jesus, that I will still face trouble in this world. I will still face hurt, sickness, challenges, stuff. And the Bible actually tells us, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. (laughs) Wow, thanks Jesus. But he says, take heart for in me, you have overcome this world. James says, count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. Paul says in Romans 5, glory in tribulation. And he goes on to explain how it builds our character, gives us a hope for a future. These guys knew, they know that when you are born again, saved, there's actually still a bit of suffering ahead. I'm not talking about first world, oh my word, they don't have 2% milk suffering. I'm talking about suffering for the gospel. Suffering because you believe. Suffering because people around you hate Jesus. And they persecute you and what you believe. I'm talking about that. The Bible promises us that between the moment of salvation and when we do get the resurrected bodies promised to us, there will be that time where we grow, we mature, but we need to know there will be stuff we have to face. If anyone ever told you, give your life to Jesus and your life will be easy and perfect and nothing will ever go wrong, I want to tell you, they lied. It's not scriptural. If anything, Jesus tried to dissuade people from following him. Once there was a massive crowd of people. And I I sometimes imagine the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, yes, you can get all these people into into our group. And he goes, only those who eat of my body and drink my blood can be part of me. And like 80% of the crowd goes, okay. And they leave. Oh, and then Jesus ran after them and tried to convince them to stay. No, he didn't. Another point he said to them, whoever wants to follow me needs to die. Pick up their cross daily and follow me. Sorry, can we get another motivational speaker? I don't like this one. He's asking me to die. Yes. Anything else is not the gospel. Once again, you can't have a resurrected body if you don't die. We die to self, we get into the kingdom. There's a waiting period. In that waiting period, we get as many people as possible into this kingdom of God. We should have an urgency because we know the truth to get more people saved. Amen? Amen. All right, let us stand together. Let us close our eyes and focus on Jesus. If you are here today, And you've sensed that God has spoken to you. Maybe you realize I've never given my life to Jesus. But you sense that, man, I need to make a decision to change my life. I want to be part of that resurrection. I want to be part of God's kingdom. I know there's a cost. But I also know that's the only way to live. If that is you today, you want to make a decision to follow Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Will you please raise your hand so I can just see if you want to make that decision today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I see no hands.
Is there a hand? Oh, there's one hand. All right, thank you, Jesus. Another hand. Thank you, Jesus. Will those who raise their hands please come to the front? Thank you, ushers, for helping me. If you, if you put up your hand, please come to the front. Please come to the front. We'd like to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Can we have some ushers just come and stand with them, please? Thank you, Father. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know each of your stories, but I know that God knows. I know that God loves you so much. And that He's brought you to this place, this moment for a reason. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I just want to remind you, I'm going to help you with a prayer. But that prayer is to make a decision today to give your life to Christ and to follow Him, to make Him Lord of your life. That means that I choose from now on that He will direct my life. Amen. So would you please stretch out your hands just in front of you, just to receive from God. Just open up your hands. All right. Thank you, Jesus. And pray after me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you. I give my life to you. I choose to follow you. I repent of all of my sin. I'm sorry, Jesus, for everything I did that is not part of your will for my life. I humbly come and ask that you will wash me clean, make me new, and adopt me as your child. Thank you, Jesus. I receive that. I receive your forgiveness. I forgive myself for every sin, for every bad decision. And I receive your grace in Jesus' name. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for my sins, was buried, was raised from the dead, and now has a glorified body and is preparing a place for me in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Will you guys please go with uh, Carl and the team? They will give you a Bible and um, tell you about our connect groups. Or Leon will give you Bibles. Well done. There you go. Welcome to the family and welcome to this family. We are so grateful. Let's give God an, another praise offering. Thank you, Jesus. Sure. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's why we do what we do, guys. That and to see all of us mature in Christ and reach more people. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming today. If you want prayer, if you, want, if you have questions, please come to the front afterwards. We are, and if you can stick around and help us to pack up, um, even if you didn't sign up for setup service, please come and help us. For the rest of you, please hang around, chat to each other. I think we can make some coffee now. Let's hope. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great Sunday today. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. 
May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.